Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello there, and welcome to this special collection of Christmas readings with relaxing rain sounds in the background to help you get down to sleep. Merry Christmas. Tonight I'll be reading... How the Grinch Stole Christmas, The Polar Express, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Hans Christian Andersen's The Fir Tree, and Twas the Night Before Christmas to help you get the rest that you deserve. Thank you for joining me. If you enjoy this podcast, then be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you're listening and leave a positive comment or review to help others find it. I hope you've had a lovely December and I'm wishing you the very best Christmas. Let's go ahead and tuck you in, and let's get down to sleep. How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Dr. Zeus Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes... He stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the Who's, staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every Who down in the Whoville beneath was busy now, hanging a mistletoe wreath. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled, with his Grinch fingers nervously drumming. I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. For tomorrow, he knew. All the Who girls and boys would wake bright and early, they'd rush for their toys. And then, oh, the noise, oh, the noise, 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 noise. That's one thing he hated, the noise, 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 noise. Then the Who's, young and old, would sit down to a feast, and they'd feast. And they'd feast, and they'd feast, 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 feast. They would feast on who pudding and rare who roast beast, which was something the Grinch couldn't stand in the least. And then they'd do something he liked least of all. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, would stand close together with Christmas bell ringing, they'd stand hand in hand, and the Who's would start singing. They'd sing, and they'd sing, and they'd sing, 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 sing. And the more the Grinch thought of this Who Christmas sing, the more the Grinch thought, I must stop this whole thing. Why? For fifty-three years I've put up with it now. I must stop Christmas from coming. But how? Then he got an idea. An awful 
idea. The Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. I know just what to do, the Grinch laughed in his throat. And he made a quick Santa Claus hat and a coat. And he chuckled and clucked. What a great Grinchy trick. With this coat and this hat, I look just like Saint Nick. All I need is a reindeer. The Grinch looked around. But since reindeer is scarce, there was none to be found. Did that stop the old Grinch? No, the Grinch simply said, If I can't find a reindeer, I'll make one instead. So he called his dog Max. Then he took some red thread. And he tied a big horn on top of his head. Then he loaded some bags and some old empty sacks on a ramshackle sleigh, and he hitched up old Max. Then the Grinch said, Get up! And the sleigh started down toward the homes where the Who's lay a snooze in their town. All the windows were dark. Quiet snow filled the air. All the Who's were all dreaming sweet dreams without care when he came to the first little house on the square. This is stop number one, the old Grinchy Claws hissed, and he climbed to the roof, empty bags in his fist. Then he slid down the chimney, a rather tight pinch, but if Santa could do it, then so could the Grinch. He got stuck only once for a moment or two. Then he stuck his head out of the fireplace flue, where the little whose stockings all hung in a row. These stockings, he grinned, are the first things to go. Then he slithered and slunk with a smile most unpleasant around the whole room, and he took every present. Pop guns and bicycles, roller skates, drums, checkerboards, tricycles, popcorn, and plums. And he stuffed them in bags. Then the Grinch, very nimbly, stuffed all the bags, one by one, up the chimney. Then he slunk to the icebox. He took the Who's Feast. He took the Who Pudding. He took the Roast Beast. He cleaned out the icebox as quick as a flash. Why, that Grinch even took their last can of Who Hash. Then he stuffed all the food up the chimney with glee. And now, grinned the Grinch, I will stuff up the tree. And the Grinch grabbed the tree, and he started to shove. When he heard a small sound, like the coo of a dove. He turned around fast, and he saw a small who. Little Cindy Lou Who, who was not more than two. The Grinch had been caught by this tiny who daughter, who'd gone out of bed for a cup of cold water. She stared at the Grinch and said, Santa Claus, why? Why are you taking our Christmas tree? Why? But you know, that old Grinch was so smart and so slick. He thought up a lie, and he thought it up quick. Why, my sweet little tot, the fake Santa Claus lied. There's a light on this tree that won't light on one side. So I'm taking it home to my workshop, my dear. I'll fix it up there, then I'll... Bring it back here. And his fib fooled the child. Then he patted her head. And he got her a drink. And he sent her to bed. And when Cindy Lou Who went to bed with her cup, he went to the chimney and stuffed the tree up. Then the last thing he took was the log for their fire. 
Then he went up the chimney himself, the old liar. On their walls he left nothing but hooks and some wire. And the one speck of food that he left in the house was a crumb that was even too small for a mouse. Then he did the same thing to the other whose houses, leaving crumbs much too small for the other whose mouses. It was quarter past dawn, all the who's still abed, all the who's still a snooze, when he packed up his sled, packed it up with their presents, the ribbons, the wrappings, the tags and the tinsel, the trimmings, the trappings, three thousand feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it, poo-poo to the who's he was grinchishly humming, they're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open in a minute or two. Then the who's down in Whoville will all cry boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. So he paused, and the Grinch put his hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very. He stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light, and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast. And he, he himself, the Grinch carved the roast beast. The Polar Express Written by Chris Van Allsburg On Christmas Eve, many years ago, I lay quietly in my bed. I did not rustle the sheets. I breathed, slowly and silently. I was listening for a sound, a sound a friend had told me I would never hear, the ringing bells of Santa's sleigh. There is no Santa, my friend had insisted, but I knew he was wrong. Late that night, I did hear sounds, though not of ringing bells. From outside came the sounds of hissing steam and squeaking metal. I looked through my window and saw a train standing perfectly still in front of my house. It was wrapped in an apron of steam. Snowflakes fell lightly around it. A conductor stood at the open door of one of the cars. 
He took a large pocket watch from his vest, then looked up at my window. I put on my slippers and robe. I tiptoed downstairs and out the door. All aboard, the conductor cried out. I ran up to him. Well, he said, are you coming? Where? I asked. Why, to the North Pole, of course, was his answer. This is the Polar Express. I took his outstretched hand, and he pulled me aboard. The train was filled with other children, all in their pajamas and nightgowns. We sang Christmas carols and ate candies with nougat centers as white as snow. We drank hot cocoa as thick and rich as melted chocolate bars. Outside, the lights of towns and villages flickered in the distance as the Polar Express raced northward. Soon, there were no more lights to be seen. We traveled through cold, dark forests, where lean wolves roamed and white-tailed rabbits hid from our train as it thundered through the quiet wilderness. We climbed mountains so high it seemed as if we would scrape the moon. But the Polar Express never slowed down. Faster and faster we ran along, rolling over peaks and through valleys like a car on a roller coaster. The mountains turned into hills, the hills to snow-covered plains. We crossed a barren desert of ice, the great polar ice cap. Lights appeared in the distance. They looked like the lights of a strange ocean liner sailing on a frozen sea. There, said the conductor, is the North Pole. The North Pole. It was a huge city, standing alone at the top of the world, filled with factories where every Christmas toy was made. At first, we saw no elves. They're gathering at the center of the city, the conductor told us. This is where Santa will give the first gift of Christmas. Who receives the first gift? we all asked. The conductor answered, He will choose one of you. Look, shouted one of the children, the elves. Outside, we saw hundreds of elves. As our train drew closer to the center of the North Pole, we slowed to a crawl. So crowded were the streets with Santa's helpers. When the Polar Express could go no farther, we stopped and the conductor led us outside. We pressed through the crowd to the edge of a large open circle. In front of us stood Santa's sleigh. The reindeer were excited. They pranced and paced, ringing the silver sleigh bells that hung from their harnesses. It was a magical sound, like nothing I'd ever heard. Across the circle, the elves moved apart, and Santa Claus appeared. The elves cheered wildly. He marched over to us, and pointing to me, said, Let's have this fellow here. He jumped into his sleigh. The conductor handed me up. I sat on Santa's knee, and he asked, Now, what would you like for Christmas? I knew that I could have any gift I could imagine. But the thing I wanted most for Christmas was not inside Santa's giant bag. What I wanted, more than anything, was one silver bell from Santa's sleigh. When I asked, Santa smiled. Then he gave me a hug and told an elf to cut a bell from a reindeer's harness. The elf tossed it up to Santa. He stood, holding the bell high above him, and called out, 
The first gift of Christmas. A clock struck midnight as the elves roared their approval. Santa handed the ball to me, and I put it in my bathrobe pocket. The conductor helped me down from the sleigh. Santa shouted out the reindeer's names and cracked his whip. His team charged forward and climbed into the air. Santa circled once above us, then disappeared in the cold, dark polar sky. As soon as we were back inside the Polar Express, the other children asked to see the bell. I reached into my pocket, but the only thing I felt was a hole. I had lost the silver bell from Santa Claus's sleigh. Let's hurry outside and look for it, one of the children said. But the train gave a sudden lurch and started moving. We were on our way home. It broke my heart to lose the bell. When the train reached my house, I sadly left the other children. I stood at my doorway and waved goodbye. The conductor said something from the moving train, but I couldn't hear him. What? I yelled out. He cupped his hands around his mouth. Merry Christmas, he shouted. The Polar Express let out a loud blast from its whistle and sped away. On Christmas morning, my little sister Sarah and I opened our presents. When it looked as if everything had been unwrapped, Sarah found one last small box behind the tree. It had my name on it. Inside was the silver bell. There was a note. Found this on the seat of my sleigh. Fix that hole in your pocket. Signed, Mr. C. I shook the bell. It made the most beautiful sound my sister and I had ever heard. But my mother said, Oh, that's too bad. Yes, said my father. It's broken. When I'd shaken the bell, my parents had not heard a sound. At one time, most of my friends could hear the bell. But as years passed, it fell silent for all of them. Even Sarah found one Christmas that she could no longer hear its sweet sound. Though I've grown old, the bell still rings for me, as it does for all who truly believe. The end. The Nightmare Before Christmas, written by Tim Burton. It was late, one fall in Halloween land, and the air had quite a chill. Against the moon, a skeleton sat, alone upon a hill. He was tall and thin with a bat-bow tie. Jack Skellington was his name. He was tired and bored in Halloween land. Everything was always the same. I'm sick of the scaring, the terror, the fright. I'm tired of being something that goes bump in the night. I'm bored with leering my horrible glances, and my feet hurt from dancing those skeleton dances. I don't like graveyards, and I need something new. There must be more to life than just yelling boo. Then out from a grave with a curl and a twist, came a whimpering, whining, spectral mist. It was a little ghost dog, 
with a faint little bark, and jack-o'-lantern nose that glowed in the dark. It was Jack's dog, Zero, the best friend he had. But Jack hardly noticed, which made Zero sad. All that night, and through the next day, Jack wandered and walked. He was filled with dismay. Then deep in the forest, just before night, Jack came upon an amazing sight. Not twenty feet from the spot where he stood were three massive doorways carved in wood. He stood before them completely in awe, his gaze transfixed by one special door. Entranced and excited, with a slight sense of worry, Jack opened the door to a white windy flurry. Jack didn't know it, but he'd fallen down, in the middle of a place called Christmas Town. Immersed in the light, Jack was no longer haunted. He had finally found the feeling he wanted, and so that his friends wouldn't think him a liar, he took the present-filled stockings that hung by the fire. He took candy and toys that were stacked on the shelves, and a picture of Santa with all of his elves. He took lights and ornaments and the star from the tree, and from the Christmas Town sign, he took the big letter C. He picked up everything that sparkled or glowed. He even picked up a handful of snow. He grabbed it all, and without being seen, he took it all back to Halloween. Back in Halloween, a group of Jack's peers stared in amazement at his Christmas souvenirs. For this wondrous vision, none were prepared. Most were excited, though a few were quite scared. For the next few days, while it lightninged and thundered, Jack sat alone and obsessively wondered, why is it they get to spread laughter and cheer? while we stalk the graveyards, spreading panic and fear. Well, I could be Santa, and I could spread cheer. Why does he get to do it, year after year? Outraged by injustice, Jack thought, and he thought. Then he got an idea. Yes. Yes, why not? In Christmas Town, Santa was making some toys, when through the din, he heard a soft noise. He answered the door, and to his surprise, he saw weird little creatures in strange disguise. They were altogether ugly and rather petite. As they opened their sacks, they yelled, trick or treat. Then a confused Santa was shoved into a sack and taken to Halloween to see Mastermind Jack. In Halloween, everyone gathered once more, for they'd never seen a Santa before. And as they cautiously gazed at this strange old man, Jack related to Santa his masterful plan. My dear Mr. Claus, I think it's a crime that you've got to be Santa all of the time. But now I will give presents and I will spread cheer. We're changing places. I'm Santa this year. It is I who will say Merry Christmas to you. So you may lie in my coffin, creak doors, and yell boo. And please, Mr. Claus, don't think ill of my plan, for I'll do the best center job that I can. And though Jack and his friends thought they'd do a good job, 
Their idea of Christmas was still quite macabre. They were packed up and ready on Christmas Eve day, when Jack hitched his reindeer to his sleek coffin sleigh. But on Christmas Eve, as they were about to begin, a Halloween fog slowly rolled in. Jack said, We can't leave. This fog's just too thick. There will be no Christmas, and I can't be St. Nick. Then a small glowing light pierced through the fog. What could it be? It was Zero, Jack's dog. Jack said, Zero, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And to be so needed was Zero's great dream, so he joyously flew to the head of the team. And as the skeletal sleigh started its ghostly flight, Jack cackled, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Twas the nightmare before Christmas, and all through the house. Not a creature was peaceful, not even a mouse. The stockings all hung by the chimney with care. When opened that morning, would cause quite a scare. The children, all nestled so snug in their beds, would have nightmares of monsters and skeleton heads. The moon that hung over the new-fallen snow cast an eerie pall over the city below, and Santa Claus's laughter now sounded like groans and the jingling bells like chattering bones. And what to their wondering eyes should appear, but a coffin sleigh with skeleton deer, and a skeletal driver so ugly and sick. They knew in a moment this can't be Saint Nick. From house to house with a true sense of joy, Jack happily issued each present and toy. From rooftop to rooftop he jumped and he skipped, leaving presents that seemed to be straight from a crypt. Unaware that the world was in panic and fear, Jack merrily spread his own brand of cheer. He visited the house of Susie and Dave. They got Gumby and Pokey from the grave. Then on to the home of little Jane Neiman. She got a baby doll, possessed by a demon. A monstrous train with tentacle tracks, a ghoulish puppet wielding an axe, a man-eating plant disguised as a wreath, and a vampire teddy bear with very sharp teeth. There were screams of terror, but Jack didn't hear it. He was much too involved with his own Christmas spirit. Jack finally looked down from his dark, starry frights and saw the commotion, the noise, and the light. Why, they're celebrating. It looks like such fun. They're thanking me for the good job that I've done. But what he thought were fireworks meant as goodwill, were bullets and missiles intended to kill. Then amidst the barrage of artillery fire, Jack urged Zero to go higher and higher, and away they all flew like the storm of a thistle, until they were hit by a well-guided missile. And as they fell on the cemetery, way out of sight, was heard, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Jack pulled himself up on a large stone cross, and from there he reviewed his incredible loss. I thought I could be Santa. I had such belief. Jack was confused and filled with great grief.
Not knowing where to turn, he looked toward the sky, and he slumped on the grave, and he started to cry. And as Zero and Jack lay crumpled on the ground, they suddenly heard a familiar sound. My dear Jack, said Santa, I applaud your intent. I know wreaking such havoc was not what you meant. And so you are sad and feeling quite blue. But taking over Christmas was the wrong thing to do. I hope you realize Halloween's the right place for you. There's a lot more, Jack, that I'd like to say. But now I must hurry, for it's almost Christmas Day. Then he jumped in his sleigh, and with a wink of an eye, he said, Merry Christmas, and he bid them goodbye. Back home, Jack was sad, but then, like a dream, Santa brought Christmas to the land of Halloween. The End Hans Christian Andersen's The Fir Tree Out in the forest stood such a charming fir tree. It was in a good spot where it could get sunshine and there was plenty of air. All around grew scores of bigger companions, both firs and pines. But the little fir tree was so eager to grow up that it didn't think about the warm sun or the fresh air. It didn't pay attention to the farm children who walked past, chattering whenever they were out gathering strawberries or raspberries. Often they would come by with a whole pitcher full, or they would have strawberries threaded on a piece of straw. Then they would sit down near the little tree and say, Oh, how charming and little it is. And that's not at all what the tree wanted to hear. The following year it was a full length taller, and the year after that another. On a fir tree you can tell how many years it has been by how many layers of branches it has. Oh, if only I were a big tree like the others, sighed the little tree. Then I could spread out my branches all around and from the top I could gaze out on the wide world. The birds would build nests in my branches, and when the wind blew I could nod so grandly like all the others. The tree took no pleasure in the sunshine, in the birds, or in the crimson clouds that sailed overhead both morning and evening. When it was winter, and the snow lay all around, glittering white, a hare often came bounding along and sprang right over the little tree. Oh, how annoying that was. But two winters passed, and by the third, the tree was so tall that the hare had to go around it. Oh, to grow and grow and to get bigger and older, that is the only lovely thing in this world, thought the tree. In the autumn, the woodcutters would always appear to chop down some of the biggest trees. It happened every year, and the young fir tree, which was now quite grown up, would start trembling because the tall, magnificent trees would topple to the ground with a groan and a crash. Their branches would be cut off, and they looked so naked, tall and slender. They were almost beyond recognition. But then, they were loaded onto wagons, and horses carried them away, out of the forest. Where were they going? What was in store for them? In the spring, when the swallow and the stork appeared, the tree asked them, 
Do you know where they were taken? Have you seen them? The swallows didn't know anything, but the stork looked thoughtful, nodded his head and said, Oh yes, I think so. I met many new ships as I flew here from Egypt. On the ships were magnificent mast trees, and I'd venture to say they were yours. They smelled of fur. I bring you many greetings, how they swaggered and swayed. Oh, if only I too were big enough to fly across the sea. What's the sea like anyway? How does it look? Well, it's much too complicated to describe, said the stork, and flew off. Enjoy your youth, said the rays of sunlight. Enjoy your fresh growth and the young life inside you. The wind kissed the tree. The dew shed tears over it, but the fir tree did not understand. When Christmas time came, quite young trees were felled. Trees that were often not even as tall or as old as the fir tree which could never find any peace, but was always eager to be off. These young trees, they were the most beautiful of all, and they always kept their branches. They were loaded onto wagons, and horses carried them away, out of the forest. "'Where are they going?' asked the fir tree. "'They're no bigger than I am. There was even one that was much smaller.' Why do they keep all their branches, and where are they being taken? We know, we know, chirped the sparrows. In town, we looked in the windows. We know where they're being taken. They end up in the greatest splendor and glory that you could ever imagine. We've looked in the windows, and we've seen them. They're planted in the middle of the warm parlor, and decorated with the loveliest things. Gilded apples, gingerbread, toys, hundreds of candles. And then, asked the fir tree, all of its branches a quiver. And then, what happens next? Well, that's all we saw. But nothing could match it. Maybe I was meant to take this glorious path, rejoiced the fir tree. That's even better than going across the sea. What an agony of longing. If only it were Christmas. Now I am as tall and broad as the others that were carried off last year. If only I were on that wagon right now. If only I were in that warm parlor with all that splendor and glory. And then, well then, something even better is bound to happen. Something even more wonderful. Why would they decorate me like that otherwise? Something... Even grander, even more glorious, is bound to happen. But what? Oh, how I'm suffering. How I yearn. I just don't know what's come over me. Take pleasure in us, said the air, and the sunlight. Take pleasure in your fresh youth out in the open. The fir tree felt no pleasure at all. It grew and grew. Both winter and summer it was green, dark green it stood there. Everyone who saw it said, that's a lovely tree. And at Christmas, it was the very first to be cut down. The axe bit deep into its marrow. The tree fell to the ground with a sigh. It felt a pain, a weakness. It couldn't even think about happiness. It was sad to part with its home, the spot where it had sprouted up. For the tree realized that it would never see its dear old companions again. The small shrubs and flowers all around, maybe not even the birds. Leaving was certainly not pleasant. The tree didn't recover until it was unloaded in a courtyard with all the other trees, and it heard a man say, That one is magnificent. That's the one we want. Two servants came and 
carried the fir tree into an enormous, beautiful room. Portraits hung on all the walls. Next to the large wood stove stood big Chinese vases with lions on the lids. There were rocking chairs and silk-covered sofas, big tables covered with picture books, and the fir tree was set in a large wooden tub filled with sand. But no one could tell that it was a wooden tub because green fabric was wrapped all around it. The tub stood on top of a big, colorful carpet. Oh, how the tree trembled. What was going to happen next? The servants and the maids proceeded to decorate the tree. On one branch, they hung little woven baskets cut from colored paper. Each basket was filled with sweets. Gilded apples and walnuts hung on the tree as if they had grown there. More than a hundred little candles, red and blue and white, fastened to the branches. Dolls that looked as lifelike as human beings. The tree had never seen anything like it before. At the very top, they put a big star made from shiny gold paper. It was magnificent, quite incomparably magnificent. Tonight, they all said, tonight the tree will shine. Oh, thought the tree, if only it were evening, if only they would light the candles soon. What will happen after that? Will trees come from the forest and look at me? Will the sparrows fly past the window? Will I take root and stand here decorated like this all winter and summer long? Oh yes, the tree thought it knew all about it. It had a terrible bark ache from sheer yearning. And bark aches are just as bad for trees as headaches are for the rest of us. Finally... The candles were lit. What splendor. What magnificence. Every branch of the tree trembled so much that one of the candles set fire to the bough. How it stung. God help us, shrieked the maids as they hastily put out the fire. Now the tree didn't even dare to tremble. How awful. It was so afraid of losing any of its finery. It was quite bedazzled by all of the splendor. And then the double doors flew open and a crowd of children rushed in as if they were about to topple the whole tree. The grown-ups followed more sedately. The children stood in utter silence, but only for a moment. Then they began shouting again, so that their voices echoed through the room. They danced around the tree, and one present after the other was plucked from the branches. What are they doing? thought the tree. What's going to happen? And the candles burned all the way down, and as they burned down they were put out, and the children were allowed to plunder the tree how they rushed at it, making all of the branches groan. If the tree hadn't been tied to the ceiling by its top and the gold star, it would have toppled right over. The children danced around with their splendid toys, and no one paid any attention to the tree, except for the old nursemaid, who walked around it, peering in among the branches, but... She was only checking to see that not a fig or an apple had been overlooked. A story, a story, shouted the children, pulling a stout little man over to the tree. He sat down right underneath it. Because we're out in the forest, he told them, 
and it may do the tree some good to listen along. But I am only going to tell you one story. Do you want to hear the one about Ickety Ackety? Or the one about Clumper Dumper, who fell down the stairs but still ended up on the throne and won the hand of the princess? Ickety Ackety cried some of the children. Clumper Dumper cried the others. They shouted and shrieked, and only the fir tree stood in silence and thought, won't I get to take part? Won't I get to do anything? It had been part of the celebration, after all. It had done what it was supposed to do. The man told the story of Clumper Dumper, who fell down the stairs but ended up on the throne and won the hand of the princess. The children clapped their hands and shouted, Tell us more, tell us more. They wanted to hear the one about Ickety Ackety too. But he would only tell them the story about Clumper Dumper. The fir tree stood quite still and pensive. The birds in the forest had never mentioned anything like this. Clumper Dumper fell down the stairs, and yet won the hand of the princess. Well, well, so that's the way the things are out in the world, thought the fir tree believing it all to be true because such a nice man told the story. Well, well, who knows, maybe I too will fall down the stairs and win the princess. The fir tree looked forward to the next day, when it would be adorned with candles, toys, gold, and fruit. Tomorrow I won't tremble, it thought, I will fully enjoy all my glory. Tomorrow I'll hear the story about Clumper Dumper again. Maybe the one about Ickety Ackety too. The tree stood still and pensive all night long. In the morning, a servant and a maid came into the room. Now the finery is going to start again, thought the tree they dragged it out of the parlour, up the stairs to the attic, and there in a dark corner, where no daylight shone, they left it. What does this mean, thought the tree? I wonder what I'm supposed to do here. I wonder what I'm going to hear now. It leaned against the wall and stood there thinking and thinking, and it had plenty of time for that because Day after day and night after night went by and no one came up to the attic. When someone finally did, it was only to put some large boxes in the corner. The tree stood quite hidden. You would almost think that it had been completely forgotten. Now it's winter outside, thought the tree. The ground is hard and covered with snow. The people wouldn't be able to plant me. No doubt that's why I'm standing here, safe indoors until springtime. What a good plan. How kind the people are. If only it wasn't so dark in here and so terribly lonely. There's not even a little hair. It was, it was nice out there in the forest, when the snow lay on the ground and the hare came running past. Yes, even when it leapt right over me. I didn't like it much at the time, but up here it's terribly lonely. Squeak, squeak, said a little mouse at the very moment and came scurrying. And then another little mouse appeared. They sniffed at the fir tree and scurried in and out of its branches. It's awfully cold, said the little mice. But otherwise it's quite blissful to be here. Don't you agree, you old fir tree? Well, I'm not old at all, said the fir tree. There are plenty of trees that are much older than I am. Where did you come from? asked the mice. And what do you know? 
They were awfully curious. Tell us about the loveliest place on earth. Have you ever been there? Have you been in the pantry where the cheeses are lined up on the shelves and the hams hang from ceilings? Where you can dance on tallow candles? Where you go in skinny but you come out fat? I don't know that place, said the tree. But I do know the forest where the sun shines and the birds sing. The tree told them all about its youth. The little mice had never heard anything like that before. They listened closely and said, You've seen so much. How happy you've been. Me, said the fir tree, thinking about everything it had just described. Why, yes, I, I suppose those were quite delightful days after all. The tree told them about Christmas Eve, when it was decorated with cakes and candles. Oh, said the little mice, how happy you've been, you old fir tree. I'm not old at all, said the tree. It was only this winter that I came here. I'm in the prime of my life. I've just stopped growing. How wonderfully you describe things, said the little mice. The following night they brought along four other little mice who wanted to hear what the tree had to tell. The more the tree told them, the more clearly it remembered everything. And it thought those actually were quite enjoyable days, but they can come again. They can come again. Clumper Dumper fell down the stairs, but he won the hand of the princess. Maybe I too can win a princess. The fir tree thought about a charming little birch tree that grew out in the forest. For the fir tree, the birch was a real and lovely princess. Who's Clumper Dumper? asked the little mice. The fir tree told them the whole story. It could remember every single word. The little mice were ready to run all the way to the top of the tree out of sheer glee. The next night, many more mice came, and on Sunday, there were even two rats. But they said the story wasn't amusing, and that made the little mice sad because then they thought less of the story themselves. Is that the only story you know? asked the rats. The only one, replied the tree. I heard it on the happiest evening of my life, but back then I didn't realize how happy I was. It's an exceptionally tedious story. Don't you know any about bacon and tallow candles? Any pantry stories? No, said the tree. Well, thanks for nothing, replied the rats, and they went home. Eventually, the little mice disappeared too. The tree sighed. It was so nice having those nimble little mice sitting around me, listening to what I told them. Now that too is over. But I'm going to remember to enjoy myself when they finally take me out of here. But when would that happen? One day, in the early morning, servants came up to the attic and started rummaging around. The boxes were moved aside, the tree was pulled out. Now it's true they threw it to the floor rather hard, but then a man dragged it towards the stairs where the daylight was shining. Life will begin again, thought the tree. It could feel the fresh air, the first rays of sun. Then it was out in the courtyard. Everything happened so fast that the tree forgot all about taking a look at itself. There was so much to see all around. The courtyard was next to a garden and everything was in bloom. The roses hung so fresh and fragrant over the little fence. The linden trees were blossoming, and the swallows flew about, saying, My husband has arrived. 
But it wasn't the fir tree that they meant. Now I'm going to live, rejoiced the tree, spreading its branches wide. But alas, its boughs were all withered and yellow. In the corner among the weeds and the nettles was where the tree came to rest. The star made from gold paper was still on top, shimmering in the bright sunshine. In the courtyard, several of the lively children were playing, who had danced around the tree at Christmas time, taking such delight in it. One of the youngest children came over and tore off the golden star. Look what's still sitting on this horrid old Christmas tree, he said, stomping on the branches so that they groaned under his boots. The tree looked at all of that floral splendor and freshness in the garden. Then it looked at itself, and it wished that it had stayed in the dark corner of the attic. The tree thought about its fresh youth in the forest, about the joyous Christmas Eve, about the little mice who had listened so happily to the story about Clumperdumper. It's over, said the poor tree. It's over. If only I had enjoyed it while I could, it's over. The hired man came over and chopped the tree into little pieces. It made a whole stack. How lovely the tree flared up under the old big copper cauldron. It sighed so deeply. Each sigh was like the sound of a little shot. That's why the children who were playing came running over and sat down in front of the fire, staring into the flames and shouting bang, snap. But each sharp crack, which was a deep sigh, was the tree thinking about a summer day in the forest or about a winter night out there when the stars were shining. It thought about Christmas Eve and about Clumperdumper, the only story it had ever heard and knew how to tell. Before long, the tree had burned up. The boys played in the courtyard and on his chest, the youngest one had the gold star that the tree wore on its happiest evening. Now it was over. The tree was gone, along with the story. It was over. And that's what happens to every story. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring not even a mouse the stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that Saint Nicholas soon would be there the children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads and Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment that it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles his courses they came, and he whistled and shouted 
and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donda and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop the courses they flew, with the sleigh full of toys, St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pouring of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot. His clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye, a twist of his head, soon gave me to know that I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk, and laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle. Away they all flew, like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. The end.